Hey folks, welcome to the House of Kraus. It's Rule Britannia Day around here today, so welcome. Throw on your anorak, maybe get a jumper, possibly a very pretty frock, and curl up by the fireplace and listen as we talk to two members of British acting royalty. A little bit later on, Michael Caine will be here. Everybody knows who Michael Caine is. Everybody loves Michael Caine. This interview was taped around the time of a movie called Harry Brown. So about five years ago, uh, I bring it back, well, mostly because I just like to listen to the sound of his voice. So we'll get to that in a few minutes. First up though, Gemma Arterton is here. Now, you know her uh, from movies like The Disappearance of Alice Creed, Tamara Drew, uh, probably the St. Trinian's movies. Uh, if you're a fan of those, Hansel and Gretel, Witch Hunters, She's made all sorts of different kinds of movies. She's back right now with a film called The Girl with All the Gifts. It's a zombie movie. It's a movie that imagines a world where a zombifying disease has infected most of the population. Although a small pocket of children was infected by the disease, they turn into zombies, but they retain free will and free thought. Gemma plays a teacher who's trying to teach these children so that they can be experimented on and they can find a cure for this disease that has has plagued the planet. Uh, it's a fascinating movie and you know it seems that when the world is in turmoil people turn to zombies as an outlet for their apocalyptic anxieties. Uh, the Girl with All the Gifts borrows from George A. Romero from 28 Days Later and even from The Walking Dead and yet it's mixed of social commentary, zippy zombies, and exploding skulls does not feel like a retread. I asked Gemma why people are so fixated on zombies. Why do you think that we are, I don't know, is obsessed with zombies kind of the way to put it? But people mm. are, people are, uh, uh, the, the idea of them doesn't seem to be fading away at all. I, and why? Yeah, I think it's a metaphor for there's something greater. There's like the vampire metaphor, and then there's the zombie metaphor. And the zombie metaphor is, you know, humanity eating itself. Right. And I think that we're in a... This film sort of extends that because it gives zombies or hungries intelligence mm -hmm. and empathy and, and love and the ability to fend for themselves in a kind of more, you know, in a more developed way. Um, I think we're in a period of time right now where... There is major despair at uh, what what is happening. Um, this film is just sort of part of that, and I remember it's sort of, it's sort of like really poignant now that it's coming out now because post Brexit, which is obviously, it just feels quite relevant. Um, you know, this film sort of. You know, I'm not usually into this kind of movie, and. Right. Um, and uh, I did read the script kind of blindly. Ken came to me, and I just read it and went, "Oh, why is it that I quite like this?" And and um, and I wanted to do it because it felt relevant. It felt like first of all, I could very much relate to the character, but also this thing about the younger generation coming through. What are they going to have that we don't have? They're going to have all this ability to use technology better than we can. They're going to have abundance of knowledge um, also they're going to also be completely mixed from all different mm -hmm. cultures um, I think it's really poignant that we've chosen a, a mixed race girl to play Melanie um, and 
uh, it just, yeah, it, anyway, it just, this film's uh, bigger issues with the things that kind of attracted me to it. Well, I think that it's interesting how speculative fiction uh, often isn't about, it's not, this isn't really about hungries and zombies yeah. and things. It's, it's about a lot of other things, but it uses that to comment on, on broader issues. And I think that's everything from, you know, War of the Worlds, Planet of the Apes, anything that, that, that you, you think of, well, that's kind of a crazy idea. Think about it. It's actually, you yeah. know, more about what's going on. And, and if you ever talk to Mike Carey, who wrote the book and then wrote the screenplay, he is just, is such a great, he's a great raconteur, but he's also really interesting when it comes to science. He knows what's happening with science and he knows what's happening in, with politics and he mixes the two together and it's such interesting conversation and I think you know his work sort of oh, he's writing a new screenplay about dream uh, about going into dreams very very interesting and um, he has yeah he's obviously a big geek and but in a really really kind of um, factual way I mean the the, the disease that the, the um, the fungal infection is actually something that exists and is something... Is that right? Yeah, he read about it, obviously. Um, there's a colony of ants in South America that had Ophiocordyceps unilateralis, <laughs> which is a fungal infection that infects you from the inside and then you sprout and then turn into a different type of ant. And those those ants will eat the other ants. Like, so you... you, you... The metamorphosis sort of happens inside, inside and then you shed yeah. your old skin and you're something else? And you're something else, and then those those ants ate the other ants from before. So That's, that's the most why, terrifying right? thing ever. Isn't it? So it's by, I mean, and I remember when we were making this film, there was I kept reading the newspaper and there was, every day there was something about mutancy or yeah. um, things happening like abominations, and these these things do happen in nature, and... And nature is so such a strong force. I mm -hmm. think it's stronger than, you know. I love that in this film, there's you can see the nature taking back the planet. Right. You know, right. we actually used some shots from Chernobyl um, as the London right. skyline, and because you know Chernobyl, this this uh, abandoned city that's just completely overgrown now. It's kind yeah. of nature gonna, has taken it back. Yeah, yeah. we might die, but <laughs> nature's going to be fine. The world's going to keep going um, without us, which we've seen that. Yeah. happen over and over again in the evolution but um, yeah so there's other bigger and I think this is just a vehicle for um, for it and, the, and you know, the, the zombie the zombie genre must have come about from something there's some there's some human well it, it almost kind of strikes me that it comes up like the, the first the first one apparently was in the 30s uh, White Zombie it was called Bella Lugosi starred in it and then cut to kind of years later there was iterations of them here and there and then cut to years later uh, late 60s George A. Romero makes Night of the Living Dead but that's Vietnam that's what they, so whenever the world seems to be as you in mentioned it started out in a crisis or there's something you know bizarre happening that kind of I guess suppose I suppose makes us question our own mortality and maybe what's happening you know we don't know you hear about terrorism constantly now you don't know what's going to happen when you walk out the door um, you know maybe we are thinking about mortality in a different way and maybe this is a way of saying you know what there's something afterwards we yeah. don't know what but there's you know we're not necessarily going anywhere yeah yeah yeah, I hope so. I hope that this, you know, I like the way that this film ends on a sort of weird tone. It's sort of unsettling. You yeah. know, she she sacrifices her own life to give 
this new generation, the lift, you know, this intelligence thing doesn't necessarily need her. Um, but um, she decides to do that. And this sort of weird feeling that you get is very unsettling. And I think, I'd hope, I hope that's what stays with people afterwards. We'll see. I don't know. We'll see. That was Gemma Arterton with a very creepy story about an ant that can change form and then eats all the other ants. Go see The Girl with All the Gifts. It's a really interesting, fresh take on the zombie film, and it ends on a very creepy note. No more spoilers here, though. We'll tell you anything more about it. Now, Harry Brown is a movie that came out uh, about five years ago. It uh, stars Michael Caine as a man who seeks some street justice, uh, avenging his best friend's murder. And he is elderly, he's an ex-serviceman, he's a widower, but he's Michael Caine, so you buy into the story 100%. I really liked this movie, and I really liked having the chance to sit down and talk with Michael Caine. He is not only one of the great screen actors of all time, but he has one of the greatest voices of all time, so just sit back in your frock, your anorak, your jumper, and just soak in the words as I fly through the air here. He's got such a relaxing, easy to listen to voice, I could have talked to him all day. Here's Michael Caine on Harry Brown. Tell me a little bit about uh, growing up and then many years later going back to shoot in the Elephant Castle section of London. Yeah, well, I, I grew up and um, and I always said I come from the slums, you know, which I do. Uh, and that was... Uh, uh, um, but when I went back, I didn't realize how lucky I was because... When I talked to the boys there, I, uh, after when we were shooting, like late at night, I'd get the real boys out from there, who would normally be quite scary, but with me they were fine, because I was one of them, you know, even though I was an old man and they were young kids. Uh, uh, and what I realised was I was very lucky, because I had two things they didn't have. I had a very happy family life and I got an education. I mean, I didn't go to Oxford, I, I went to grammar school, I got the 11 plus and scholarship they used to call it and the other I had, so I had two things very valuable things that they didn't have and one thing I didn't have that they did have which was drugs we didn't have drugs in, and drugs are, are, are the basis of just how feral they have become and that because it, it, it in the end it wipes out all feeling for the other person because it has to you know, I mean, there's a sequence in there where I go to buy a gun off two drug drugs. I mean, those two people are unfortunately all very real in that world, and, and there are lots of them. You know. Well, the, the young men that are in the film uh, come from that background as well, a Some lot of them. do, yeah. yeah oh, yeah. Uh, uh, and, and I noticed that when they were given direction, they were very keen to listen and do it right. And if someone had only told them something, you know, I mean, maybe it's woodwork, no matter about direction, you know, or, or something, they would have listened and done it right. But we've neglected a, a massive generation of, of young people, really have. Well, in the film, the violence is so stark. I mean, the violence to me looks like real violence. It doesn't look that's, like yeah. movie violence. Yeah, well, that's the point. This is not a violent film. It's a film about real violence. A violent film is you see the knife go across and, and the blood come out. There's none of that. There's none of that. Uh, but it's about how it happens. I mean, read your newspaper and you'll see every single incident in this film. Well, we've been hearing on this side of the Atlantic, we've been hearing stories about 
uh, stabbings and beatings oh. and things. And it, and it seems just in the last few years, there's yes. been this whole rise of hooliganism that, I mean, maybe always existed on, on some level there, but it seems to be much more... Oh, no. uh, one of the reasons I made this film is as a warning. You know, uh, uh, it's there and it's getting worse. You know, and if the authorities like to look at it and listen, you know, but uh, I mean, they would say, well, it's not like that. We're pulling the... They can say a bit it's not like that because where we actually shot the movie in those flats, those apartments, they're coming down. There's two and a half billion pounds being spent at the Elephant and Castle. But where are you going to move them to who came out of there? And I asked a counsellor, he, he said, as far away from each other as possible. So, so you're also breaking up, a, not only gang, you're breaking up a social uh, mode, you know. Uh, so it's a very, very negative thing but I think it's scary because I don't think they've got a hang of it, and I, I think they're scrubbing it, pushing it under the table. And I, I think we might get into a bit of trouble in England pulling it out from under the table. They might hit at us, yeah. Well, I used to live in a, a neighborhood that had one bar that was particularly bad, and it was where all the, the, the bad guys yeah, yeah, hung yeah. out. And there were, you know, city protests, like, let's close this bar down, let's get rid of it. And the police were quite open saying, you know what? As long as that place is open, we know where all the where bad guys everybody are. Is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, but the problem is, the moment in my country, not only do they not know where all the bad guys are, they don't know how many there are, and they're getting bigger. That's the problem. If, if they had the control that you had in your thing, where they knew all the bad guys are, you wouldn't want to make this movie. Because right. right. it would be redundant. Right. Now it's, it's kind of scary. Do you see a parallel at all to uh, earlier characters um, of yours? I'm thinking of Jack Carter, Harry well, Palmer. Well, no, uh, uh, Harry Palmer wasn't a soldier. See, this, this is a soldier. Mm -hmm. Jack Carter wasn't a soldier. He was a villain and a killer. The, po the whole point about uh, uh, um, Harry Brown is that he's an innocent old man. And he's forced to do this. And he's a victim, not a perpetrator. And there's one line in it, uh, the, the, the policeman's, uh, one of the police says, I think Harry Brown killed these five guys. He said, what are you, nuts? He's 76 year old and he's got emphysema. But he did do it, yeah. you know, and he had to do it. He's a victim. We're all victims of it. And, and you know, it's got to be stopped. Well, it's interesting because it's not, uh, when I first heard about this movie, I thought, is it a British death wish? Is it... You know, well, is it a vigilante it, movie? But it's not really. It's not like that at all. No, no. It's it's complete work on its own. It, uh, the, I first saw, this is a young director, this is his first feature film, uh, Daniel Barber. And the first film I saw of his, the only film I saw of his, was The, uh, uh, the Tonto Girl, which got an, an Academy nomination for short films. It didn't win, but it got an Academy. And I liked it, and it was a Western. And this is kind of like a Western. It's a Western, it's, it's, it's Gary Cooper in High Noon, that sort of thing going out. And then there's another thing, and I, I, like, I like young directors, especially those who've worked in commercials, because they have all those tricks and, and, and ways of doing things that the old directors don't have. So that when you get in a fight, suddenly he has all this stuff that goes on. And then he, the, the music is chosen by a disc jockey called Pete Tong. And you go, yeah, that's it, that's it, yeah. And I, that's what I loved about it, yeah.
Well, it's interesting for me to hear you talk with such passion about this film. You've been making movies for so long. Um, you announced that you were going to retire a few years, yeah. or we had heard that, but you've still been making movies. And I have to tell you, and, and quite honestly, I love the work you're doing now. Well, thank you. And, uh, you know, well, the it, thing with this movie is it changed me. And how so? In as much as I started out, let's go out and make a film about killing all these scumbags. And then I met these people and realized they were helpless just as much as the victims. And they, they'd been neglected and they needed help, you know, which is, would be a very unpopular thing. We're going to help a load of like, killer yeah. junkies, you know, yeah. give, put them in prison. Prison doesn't do anything. Yeah, it just teaches them how yeah, to be, teach them how to be, how to be clever. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Daniel, your director, was telling me that of your iconic status in Britain, I guess that's the only way that I can d describe it. He's, he said, Michael Caine is probably the only person in Britain that everybody loves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, yeah, I don't know. I, you, you, I was, they said, well, you're an icon now. I said, well, I don't know how to do that. I said, because there's no, you can't go, there's no lessons, you know, and it, there's not a special icon bar where you all go and meet up and ask what you're supposed to do. I said, hey, you call me an icon, now I don't know what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> so, it, it, do you just consider yourself uh, a, a working actor? I consider myself lucky. Lucky. I've been lucky. I think there's a bit more than luck involved in Michael Caine's career, but I do love that that's the way he sees it. He's a humble guy, he's an interesting guy, and listen to that voice. You could listen to that all day. Well, that's it. That's all there is. Take the frocks and jumpers and anoraks off. Leave them by the door. Get out of here. Time to close up the House of Krauss for another week. But be sure to come by again next week. I want to thank Gemma Arterton, Michael Kane, But most of all, I want to thank you for coming by week after week. It's always a treat to see you. We're kind of sometimes happy when you go, too. But we're always happy to see you come in, especially every Monday. We put a new show up every single Monday. Uh, you never know who's going to be here, so make sure you come back and visit us because it just might be one of your favorite people. 